is a Woodside Church podcast. We're going to look at a message today called um, Inner Beauty. That's what the title has been given me um, in this particular series. One advantage of going through a book of the Bible is you teach on things that you wouldn't, you might skip over otherwise. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it's, so it's good that we go through books in the Bible sometimes. And uh, I'm going to speak on inner beauty from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. And uh, uh, just a few words by way of introduction. Because before I read the, script, the scripture, I want to make a few comments to help us as I read it. The title of the talk, Inner Beauty is actually uh, from a section of Peter's writings, Peter's writing to churches that he was acquainted with, um, that speaks to wives. However, if we listen to it carefully, and the whole scripture, it could equally apply to the attitudes Peter commands us of us all, husbands and all of us, young or old, single or married, that comes at the end, of, and that comes at the end of the section we're studying, which I'll read later. Also, could I just say, today, in today's church, it's sometimes hard, particularly if we're single or widowed, if the Sunday message is all about marriage. I understand that, but have to spend time explaining the scripture. Because we're going through the Bible in that way. Could I just say though, sometimes in churches, being single today, sing churches today, being single or widowed is not honoured in the way it was in the New Testament church. We'll refer to this later. The Bible said particularly honour widows. The Bible also talks about those who are single. Paul says, that's, that's better. Okay, and so it was honoured, and we have to remember that, and it's not always in today's church. Another thing I just want to say before reading the passage, the word of God is given to us always in a particular historical and cultural context. The Bible is totally inspired by God. It is our authority. I make no apology for that at all. Um, but to understand it properly, we have to understand the historical context and then apply the underlying principle of that that the Bible unfolds in that context to our cultural situation, whatever that may be. Do you understand that? Okay, so you say, what's the Bible saying? What did it mean then? to those to whom the writers were originally writing? How does what was said then apply with authority in the context in which we're now living? That's how you read the Bible. Um, we contextualize it but without undermining God's word to us. Also, and I'm sorry about, I don't usually do these many introductions, but... Before reading the scripture, we must humbly acknowledge 
that for some women listening today, or to the recording, for those that will listen to it later, these verses have been used to control and belittle. There can be painful memories of criticism of how someone has dressed, or how they present themselves, or wrongly stop them from taking up positions of authority or leadership. And sometimes I've heard it used, sadly, encouraging women to stay in unsafe marriages where there is violence, which, as I hope I will show, is not what Peter meant at all. Okay. By the way, just personally, I've taught these principles in very different cultures across the world. I've taught them in Western cultures. I remember teaching it in one place where I went to a meal with a family after the service and all the men ate together and the women served. So much, so strict were they on that that I lost my interpreter because my interpreter was a woman who'd preached the word with me but then wasn't allowed to sit with me to interpret during the meal afterwards. <laughs> okay? So I've taught this in all sorts of contexts. Now let's read it. Okay, having got all that, you, you with me so far? Okay. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. That even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewellery, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, you husbands must give honour to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Maybe, Mohan, what you said was absolutely right, and what Paul said as well. But according to this scripture, sometimes prayers can be hindered by the way we live in our marriages. It's interesting, isn't it? So, but first, no, not first. I've already done two things. I've given an introduction, read the scriptures. Next, <laughs> I want to tell a personal story. Because this passage of scripture was very, very important for Scylla and, our, Scylla and me in our call to Christian ministry. Uh, so, at the time, 
when this church started, I was a banker, but I was also in the leadership team here at Woodside. We had nobody in what we call full-time ministry in the church, nobody on staff. But it was getting difficult to both maintain uh, working as a banker abroad 90 days a year, leading the church team, <laughs> working in London. It was all a bit difficult to put together. Um, and a few people had said, Gordon Stroud was the first, I think you should, give, you should go into full-time ministry here. And uh, we took 12 months, Silla and I, to feel, what's the right thing for us? Is it to be a Christian in senior banking, or is it to serve in the church in a full-time basis? And after that 12 months, we felt it was right that I, sh I should leave banking. We shared that with the other leaders in the church. At that point, this building was an empty shell, and we'd run out of money. So we couldn't move in, we met in a community centre, and so uh, the other leaders very graciously said, yes, we support you going into full-time ministry, but only when the building's finished. And we had no idea when that would be, because we had no money. Uh, Scylla will take up the story from there. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, so from there, David went away to a Christian conference where he received a prophetic word. After hearing this word from God, he felt he should give up his job at the bank. It was a job he really loved and was, it was a highly paid job in the city. But he didn't want to make such a big decision on his own. On his way home, he prayed that I also would have heard from God. So um, while David was at the conference, I had time with a friend. Um, we were doing a Bible study, and we were looking at 1 Peter 3, verse 6, where it says, You are her daughter if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Um, and we were talking about the verse um, explaining about Abraham's wife, Sarah. She had to leave her home and go to a land she knew nothing about. She didn't even know where she was going, but God had spoken to Abraham. Um, uh, where the story is told in Genesis 12, verse, six, verse 1 to 6. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 8, that it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him. Sarah was involved in this part of her husband's story, and she also trusted God herself. <clears throat> I knew then that God was calling me alongside my husband to venture out in faith, and it was right for David to leave his job. We would trust God for our future. I didn't have to go to a foreign land to live like Sarah, but my life certainly took a different direction. So when David came home from this conference, I asked him if God had spoken to him. I then told him of how God had spoken to me through one Peter. So we were able to come to a joint decision. 
and David proceeded to give in his notice at the bank. So this was all happening towards the end of the year, and it was actually in December, the first month where we didn't have a salary, which is not the best month of the year (laughs) to do that. We had three small children, and Christmas was coming, (laughs) Um, and a mortgage to pay. But God is good. He is faithful. And um, during that month, we actually, God gave us more money than if David had had his salary. Yeah, so we, we lived by faith for just over a year, trusting God. And he provided for us all through that time with everything we needed. We would often wake up in the morning to find an envelope full of money that had been put through our letterbox. And the children would say, it must be an angel. (laughs) Because the dog didn't bark. and (laughs) He always barked when anyone came near the house. So all this happened nearly 40 years ago now. But God has taken us on many, many amazing adventures with him since that time. He is an amazing God. And we have many more stories of his goodness and faithfulness, as I'm sure you do too. So, um, sorry, my iPad played funny tricks on me just then. And uh, I never know what to do when that happens, but it seems to have worked. Okay, so you can understand why this um, story, this scripture means so much to us. Let me speak about it then. What's it saying? Well, first, it's a word to wives. What Peter is doing here is actually contrary to the culture and practice of that time. Teachers would not normally ever direct um, address wives directly it would only be done through their husbands Peter broke that rule you know the Bible wasn't just written conforming to the culture it always challenged the culture which we forget now and Plutarch you probably haven't you may not have heard of him but he was a Greek teacher philosopher who was writing at the same time as Peter and he said this a wife should not acquire her own friends. By the way, the fact that it's up there doesn't mean I believe it, okay? <laughs> a wife should not acquire her own friends, but she should make her husband's friends her own. The gods are the first and most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods who are my husband worships and to shut the door to superstitious cults and to strange superstitions, which is what Christianity was viewed as at the time. Peter was therefore writing counterculturally to wives, you are free to have your own beliefs. That was massive. It was liberating. But that they should in other respects honour and submit to non-believing husbands and possibly win them to Christ by their attitudes without preaching to them all the time, without words, Peter says, Now, it's good to share words when you can, but win them over by your attitude, not 
giving them words all the time if your husband is not a, not a believer. That's what uh, Peter is saying. And Peter's motive in the whole of this section is that Christians live out the truth and are free to express their faith, but to do so in a way that commends the gospel to others. It's a common theme in the New Testament. Paul does it as well. Rather than causing difficulty. The Christian faith was actually subversive to the culture, as it is to every culture. But uh, because Jesus was the only true Lord, not Caesar or husbands. Christian wives could have their own faith. All should take every opportunity to commend the gospel to those around them. And his motive is secondly, that all believers reflect the attitude of Jesus to serve and demonstrate humility. Okay? So... Peter then addresses what's true beauty before God. The fact that he describes very expensive hairstyles, the hairstyles that he and Paul talked about would have taken about three to four hours to put on each day. Only the rich could do it. And the fact that he talked about very expensive hairstyles and jewellery means that some of these believers must have been very rich the poor could not afford them. He's not saying that ladies were to be shabby or dowdy or wear old-fashioned clothes. There used to be a thing in Christian circles. You're okay if you wore things that were 20 years out of date, you know? That's going back. You won't, young, young people, you won't know anything about that. But years, years gone by, that was the case. Peter's not saying that. He's saying, do not pride yourself in extravagance, but rather have good inner attitudes. Sometimes Christians have said, this means, for example, no nice hairstyles and don't wear any jewellery. I've heard Christians say that in other countries. Peter's point is that true beauty consists in inner attitude. He actually can't be saying no jewellery because... If you read it that way, the construction of the sentence is no jewellery, no expensive hairstyles, no clothes. Now, we wouldn't apply all three of those, would we? So please, (laughs) that's how the construction is. What he's saying is that your beauty is not in being extravagant, your beauty is being, having a good inner attitude, which applies to everybody. In fact, Sarah, who he quotes, was known as a beautiful woman, even as she was getting older, like we are. But Christians are to stand out because of their godly inner attitudes. In those days, wealth was flaunted by clothes, hairstyle and jewellery. In the West today, it can be flaunted in other ways. Cars and houses, etc. What's important is the inner attitudes. And you don't flaunt your wealth and take pride in that. You understand? Hello? If if you don't... 
I want to know. When he says, have a gentle and quiet spirit, he is not saying, be like a mouse or like a doormat, as we say. Because the word used is what used of Jesus when he said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. So be like Christ, he's saying. He was gentle and lowly. You be it too. And for all believers, in the Greek translation of Isaiah 66 verse 2, it says, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. Same words. It is the beauty of Christian attitude. Firm in faith, still believing in God, Humble and gentle in spirit. Having focused on those married to unbelieving husbands, Peter then refers them to the example of Old Testament godly women. So he's talking now not just to those with unbelieving husbands, nor was he when he was talking about inner beauty. He's talking more generally. And... He says, follow the example of Old Testament godly women like Sarah. And Silla's illustrated how she did that. Now, Sarah was no pushover. She took initiatives, sometimes good ones, sometimes wrong ones. Sometimes ones that God honoured and said to Abraham, listen to your wife. And the reference to him, to calling him master or Lord, was not describing how Sarah addressed Abraham. It's how she talked about Abraham when she was actually talking um, to herself in the presence of the angels who had visited, actually. And uh, you see, she referred to him in a respectful way. Now, Westerners, just listen carefully. The rest of the world understands this. Most cultures have ways of referring respectfully to people. We, except in a few circumstances, don't really have that. We don't have terms of address so that when uh, wives are speaking about their husbands or husbands are speaking about their wives, they've got a language which shows respect, which we don't have in the West anymore. So we have to say, okay, how do we show respect always in our language? So it could be wives not pulling down or mocking their husbands in public. Or husbands not doing the same for their wives. You understand? It's talking about how we respectfully work things out within a marriage. Don't undermine each other. And that's the idea of it, that Sarah was like that towards Abraham. Then Peter goes on to a word to husbands. 
He starts in the same way, i.e. following the example of Jesus. Paul said similarly, husbands, love your wives in the same way as Jesus loved the church. That's a pretty high standard, brothers. This means serving and being ready to lay down your life, to protect. That's how Jesus was towards his church. Just as Western culture finds the instructions to wives difficult here, so other cultures where I've taught this find the true implications of Peter and Paul's instructions to husbands difficulty, difficult. I remember I was in one particular place and... Uh, I'd done some teaching on how husbands are to treat their wives. They'd asked me to, okay. Uh, And uh, I, so I did, and I gave a few examples. I said, look, these examples are how I do it. You will have other examples in your marriage that you can follow. And I gave the example of the fact that ever since we've been married... When I'm at home, I've always woken my wife up with a cup of tea in the morning and anything else she needs. Okay, that's just been our practice. Now, please, I'm not saying that's what you must do. But that's what we've always done. I've always done. I gave that as an example. Then I heard about another church nearby where I was going to speak and I heard it came back to me beforehand If he tells me to make tea for my wife, I'm walking out. Okay? (laughs) Now, of course, I hadn't told them to do that. But each culture has to say, how do we do this? How do wives submit like Christ? How do husbands serve like Christ? This verse also points, sorry the, sorry, the word here is a strong one. It says, honour your wives. Like children are told to honour their parents in the Bible. Or, as I quoted earlier, Paul says, honour widows in the church. This verse also speaks to the equality of husbands and wives before God. It says, you are joint heirs of the gift of life, not one without the other. Joint heirs. But then it says the bit that, again, people find difficult in the West today. That though she's, it says in the NLT, though she's weaker than you, or she's a weaker vessel, as some translations put it. And again, this has often been misused. So, emotionally weaker, I've heard it said. No, that's not true. It's not what it's talking about, and it's false. The expression is literally a weaker vessel, as I said, which is often used for the, a word used for the body. So it could refer to women generally being physically not as strong, or it could refer, and I'm inclined to this, to the fact that in the society of that time, women did not have the same legal strength as their husbands did. You understand? The African Bible commentary suggests, perhaps reflecting their own experience, that sadly at that time, women often died in childbirth. But what is absolutely clear 
is that no physical or verbal violence is to be expressed towards a wife or indeed to any female. That's what he's saying. Because the word for wife there, in the context it means wife, but it's a word that could mean any female. It's not the same as wives earlier on. Okay. So, physical violence is totally excluded in this command. And Peter is basically saying, as to be fair did Roman and Greek law, physical violence in a marriage is totally wrong. And I would say if women are in a position where they are going to be harmed, then they have to be helped out of that situation, not told using this scripture wrongly that they must stay there. Do you understand? So, forgive me, I am going on longer. The children's parents, the children, and I did start 10 minutes later than the preaching normally does. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit was in charge of that, so that's fine. And, the, and parents, the children have been told, the children's workers have been told it's going on a bit today. Okay. And if husbands don't live this way, the prayers of husbands and wife together would be hindered. The detail of how this is to be worked out in a marriage is never spelled out in the New Testament. Okay. Certain principles are stated. But how it works is up to each couple in their context, abilities and culture. So, you know, I can often feel useless as a husband because my DIY skills are virtually zero. <laughs> whereas Scylla's are pretty good. Okay? <laughs> so, you have to work this out each in their own marriage, according to the people's ability. However, there is a principle of mutuality, forgive me using long words here, mutual, mutual submission to one another, mutual caring for one another, and complementarity. That means don't, doesn't mean giving compliments all the time, though that's good. It's rather that we are equal but different within the relationship. That's how scripture always presents it, male and female and in uh, marriages. So there's a particular responsibility on a husband for servant leadership, protection, taking responsibility, willingness to take any suffering that may come. The first sin of Adam after eating, or second sin, after eating the apple or whatever it was, was, God said, what you done, Adam? He said, this what? This woman you gave me. Okay? That was the first failure of a husband in a marriage. We take responsibility. And it's the responsibility of wives to receive that servant leadership protection and willingness to take suffering, welcome it, and contribute her gifts and abilities into the marriage, but the detail is worked out between them. Okay? 
you understand me? Come on. You've gone very, very quiet. I'm sorry. It's a longer preacher than preached than usual. But you've got to explain these things properly. So how that worked out in our own story, I believed I'd heard from God to act in faith and leave the job. If Scylla hadn't heard God for herself, I would not have done that. Indeed, many years later, uh, a pastor leading a church came to me with his wife and said, I feel called to Spain. My wife still doesn't receive it. Do you think now is the time? We've spent many years. Is that now is the time for me to exercise my authority according to this scripture and insist that we go? I said, no. Okay. <laughs> she needs to hear from God too. Many years later, I heard, after I'd lost touch, I heard they'd moved to Spain, so I hope they got that right. But, the, but at the time, they didn't go. Scylla, because she had heard God for herself, could trust what I had received, submit to it, and act equally in faith. We prayed together and individually for money to come in. The commentator Karen Jobes, herself a wife, writes this. Therefore, the specific expressions of appropriate submission must be culturally defined. A woman who is active outside the home or a married woman uh, appearing in public without the escort of her husband or other male relatives does not scandalise our society as it did in the first century. Peter wisely did not spell out in specific terms what it means for a Christian wife to submit to her husband or for a Christian husband to live considerately with his wife. The apostle laid down the principles and lent left the details to be worked out between the spouses. The church today is right to hold up a biblical order within marriage that mirrors the relationship of Christ in this church, but it should also follow Peter's wisdom and refrain from trying to specify what that must look like in every case. Okay? Karen Job starts her wonderful commentary on 1 Peter by saying her husband, who uh, followed Paul and Peter's instructions, that enables me to spend time out writing this commentary. Okay. Another commentator, Tom Wright, who we often quote, puts it this way. And Tom, within the Anglican Church, when he was Bishop of Durham, was one of the main advocates of women's ordination, for example. He was very much in favour of, of it. And, but he says this, Paul assumes, as do most cultures, that there are significant differences between men and women. Differences that go far... He's talking about Paul in, in Ephesians there. Differences that go far beyond mere biological and reproductive functions. Their relationships and roles must therefore be mutually complementary rather than identical. Equality in voting rights and in employment opportunities and pay, which is not, it's still not a reality in many places, should not be taken to imply such identity. And within marriage, the guideline is clear. The husband is to take the lead, though is to do so fully mindful of the self-sacrificial model which the Messiah has provided. As soon as taking the lead becomes bullying or arrogant, the whole thing collapses. Okay. He goes on to say, if this guideline seems outrageous in today's culture, we should ask ourselves, 
Do our modern societies, in which marriage is often a tragedy or a joke, really offer a better model of how to do it? Does the spectre of broken homes littering modern Western culture indicate that we've got it right and can tell the rest of human history how we finally resolved the battle between the sexes? Or does it indicate that we still need to do some rethinking ourselves? There's a terrible arrogance about modern Western culture that tries to impose that on the rest of the world and on the rest of history. As Christians, that's not our view. As Christians, we submit to the word of God and try to work that out. For us all, married or single, young or old, all ethnicities in the church, we too must all be Jesus-like in our relationships with one another. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathise with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. This is the description of a happy church family. Paul, you, Peter uses family language here. And he says, be united. Okay? Doesn't mean you agree on every detail, but your attitude is we're for one another. Be sympathetic. Have brotherly and sisterly love. As how you treat brothers and sisters in a good family, treat them that way in the church. Don't speak against one another, therefore. Be kind-hearted. That's nice, isn't it? Be kind-hearted and be humble. Do you think those relations, that in a church would make for a good relationship? Simple, really, isn't it? Not that complicated, but hard to fulfil sometimes. Don't retaliate. How are you when criticised, justly or unjustly? Do you immediately get defensive? Or do you think, hmm... Maybe they've got a point. Usually, we get defensive first, then, if we're wise, think maybe they've got a point. Okay? <laughs> bless those who insult you. God blesses that. Blessing was a powerful force in Bible times. And then, they sang a song about it. Not many modern worship songs are written this way. Okay? <laughs> but... In the New Testament times, they sang the Old Testament Psalms. So Paul quotes something they'd be familiar about singing. You know, would go up on, their, on the overheads in their meet, in the, on, the, on the screen in their meetings if they had them. They didn't, of course. They learned the words by heart, as many parts of the world still do. But this is what they sang. I challenge any worship leaders to put this one to music, but it's scripture. If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Almost rhymes that, doesn't it? Okay. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his, eyes are open to their, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Be great to sing, wouldn't it? I'm not going to suggest you put it to work music immediately after this service, Colin. 
Conclusion. Our marriages are to reflect the attitude of Christ, just as male and female were equally needed to reflect the image of God in the book of Genesis. So in marriage, male and female are needed to equally reflect in marriage both Christ and the church and the attitude seen in Jesus of submission to his Father's will and his suffering servant leadership for his church. Similarly, our church and life and relationships to each other are to be Christ-like. This is how Paul puts it. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother. And treat younger women with purity as you would your own sisters. That is a worked out in good attitudes in marriage and good attitudes in the church. Again, forgive me for being long. If I had to do it thoroughly, I couldn't avoid that. Now, some of you may need to go because we're already past time. Parents certainly need to go and pick up their children. But for those who would just like to hang around, we're just going to worship God for a moment because I feel that, I just felt this, that I shouldn't just leave you with my words about this, but focus back on him. Sorry about that, but you can, you can have the cafe afterwards. Uh, if you need to leave, we fully understand. God bless you as you go. If, if you haven't got your children, please do. But let's just the rest of us turn our hearts towards God. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.